Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, Game of Thrones, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. beloved we are gathered here today to get through this thing called game of thrones it's a strange show game of thrones it hasn't made sense for a mighty long time but i'm here to tell you there's something else the winds of winter a book of never-ending character development you can always see the motivation good and bad so when you change that channel to hbo you know the one it's not tv it's hbo Instead of wondering why this is all happening, ask yourself, why does it even matter? Because in this life, there are things much harder than watching Game of Thrones. In this life, you're still waiting for winds of winter. And if D&D try to bring you down, George, please, we're going crazy. Tonight, we're going to cover Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 1, The Red Woman. And joining me tonight, I have Clotho. Hi, I'm Clotho Spindle, and I'm Clotho Spindle on Tumblr. Kama? Hi, this is Kama, and I'm Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. Eon? Hi, this is Eon, and I'm Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. The dungeon master himself, Wonkins. Hi, I'm Wonkins, and you can find me at Wonkins on Tumblr. And I'm Guile, Guile and Subterfuge on Tumblr, and I am moderating this episode because Lot is off doing something extremely exciting. She won't tell us what. Actually, she will. I just won't tell you. <laughs> so, um, Actually, she's dead because when you die in the D&D game, you die in real life. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait. Are those spoilers for the game? <laughs> she is so going to kill you. <laughs> the mind makes it real. <laughs> well, okay. So we're sad to announce the death of Lady of Tarth hyphen post. <laughs> but moving I, on. I, I traveled to Canada to kill her. <laughs> Um, beyond that murder, we'll also have trigger warnings for probably some rape discussion and for um, general sand snakes. <laughs> <laughs> so we open the episode on a cool new overhead view of Castle Black. We hear Ghost howling as the camera zooms in on John, who's dead in the snow. Ghost is trying to bang his door down, which draws Davos' attention. He sees the body and rushes across the courtyard to find John. He's soon joined by some of John's most loyal men, including our delightful Ed, who for once is at a loss for something sardonic to say. They grab John and lay him down on a table, but um, he's still dead. Ed shuts his eyes and immediately accuses Thorne of the dirty deed. Davos asks who he can trust, and Ed says only the men in this room. Melisandre knocks on the door, and I was trying to figure out what she was doing there. I'm assuming it was a booty call. Uh, she sees John, who is still dead. <laughs> And reflects how she saw John in the flames fighting at Winterfell. And Davos is like, yep, that's cool, but he's still dead. Did anybody... So, I noticed, like, um, Cheeky pointed this out to me the other day. And people have been tweeting about it. Whenever they remove John from the snow, you see the blood stain, And a lot of people are saying it looks like a dragon. Yeah, I thought it looked like a dragon, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I did not that. notice. So, I, I missed was- this. I watched this... Like two times, second time was kind of painful. Although I did like this part quite a bit, 
why did they decide to bring him inside? Did they think he was alive? Because it really looked like they realized he was dead, and I was just puzzled as to why they thought they needed to move him indoors. It's kind of just a nice thing to do with a body instead of leaving it to decay outside. Well, yeah, I, I get that, but I mean... You know, when you're in a castle with, you know, a bunch of people who probably are going to try to kill all of you, it just seemed a little... I, I realize I should probably just let this go. It's for when they're going to bring yeah. him back or whatever, well, but... You know, there's the sign that's most... marked traitor, though. There's the a sign that, that's marked traitor and everything, and that's their bud. That's their friend and everything, and I'm sure they don't want anybody to probably mutilate his body even anymore. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying in the RPG, if a bunch of you die, I'm leaving your corpses there. <laughs> save yourself. <laughs> save yourself, Ed. Save yourself. Loot the so, uh, Don't worry. Go- nobody ever buries bodies in RPGs. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> so we go across Castle Black to where the Brothers of the Night's Watch are in an uproar over John's murder. And Thorne, to his credit, kind of immediately cops to the deed along with the other officers. And he admits he doesn't—he didn't like John, but that John was going to destroy the Night's Watch with his pro-wildling policies, leaving him no choice but to commit treason. And frankly, Ollie couldn't be any more smug during this whole exchange. I know. I just wanted to slap that smug little face off. He looked like he aged about four years in the last year or two. Like now he's like a young man. Oh, he's easily. An asshole. <laughs> yeah. He's no the longer the cute potato boy of doom. Now he's like you know. Young adult <laughs> data boy of doom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah He's shagging. like on Joffrey levels of smugness at this point. <laughs> um, so I kind of felt that Thorne actually, it seemed like he was convincing the crowd a bit during his speech. And do you guys think that that's what happened? Did he really convince them that he was right about this? I wasn't buying what he was selling, but it looked like some of the men were. Yeah, they started out bitching about murder, but then we didn't really see any follow up <laughs> to it. Yeah, and apparently all of the supporters are just in that little room with yeah. Jon Snow's body. So you know, it's it sort of seemed like faulty logic to say, "Oh, you know, we can, you know, we committed treason, but you know, what he was doing was more treasonous." Seemed to be his argument, but mm-hmm. and like I think most you know. pe- most people at Castle Black are, if they're not officers and if they're not secluded in in Davos's little group, then they're probably just trying to stay warm and they're just going to follow whatever orders that the big officers give them because they're just, you know, peons. They don't really need to be convinced. They're just there to follow orders. They seem to get over their outrage pretty quickly. (laughs) You murdered him! I hate you! Oh, okay, I guess you had your reasons. I guess if they were trying to achieve something else with the scene, you know, like if we were trying to get a sense that they were just following along because they were too scared or if they were really... I mean, it wasn't terribly clear to me. Mm. I honestly don't know i mean i don't know what the intent was so if they meant it to be something more they didn't do a good job so what if we go back the... go, ahead. No, go ahead no go ahead please what i pulled away from the scene was that um it, it was kind of reaffirming that alistair doesn't have really much experience with the whites or the white walkers because he's always been at castle black when all the when the audience and the other black uh, brothers have seen the uh, supernatural stuff. I mean, he saw giants with wildlings, but that's all the supernatural stuff he's seen so far. So he doesn't really consider them a threat because he hasn't seen them firsthand. So his only concern is is wildlings and what John has done with the wildlings. Like he doesn't. Whereas John saw it firsthand, so he was that was his primary uh, priority. Know what I mean, Jean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah. 
So we go back in the room and Davos and Ed kind of talk strategy and Ed is basically ready to die, but Davos suggests they get the wildlings to help and Ed rushes off and we kind of close that little short scene. Anything to add there? I thought the acting was excellent. I don't remember the name of the guy who plays Ed, but he was doing some good stuff. And um, Ben Crompton, I think. Yeah, and uh, Liam Cunningham as usual. And I really like Owen Teal. It's Teal. Oh, he's a great actor. Yep, he's Uh, great. Who plays Alistair? He does a nice job. Mm -hmm. I like the line where they. I like the line where they say, uh, "Heaven help us," because our. the world rests in the hands of Dolores Ed or something. I don't know if that was in the <laughs> after the episode or if it was in the episode. So uh, we move over to Winterfell and we have Ramsay reminiscing about his young love for Miranda. And I loved when he said, she smelled of dog. <laughs> oh, Ramsay, you can come in my car like if you want to smell dog. Um, just when you're ready to feel sentimental about these two little psychopaths in love, though, um, Ramsey breaks the spell by telling the maester that Miranda is, quote, good meat and to feed her to the dogs instead of burying her, burning her body. I, I would, love it. I would just like to point out that she fell face first. I actually watched the, and they show a clip, you know, on the, you know, they're previously on. Mm-hmm. She fell face first and she was very close to the ground. She was hitting, you know, she would not look that undamaged. So I was kind of irked about that. <laughs> Maybe this was a really good. Well, I mean, actually, if you think about it, though, the Boltons might have a pretty good maester as far as like putting people back together. I guess. Not as good as but did you see that maester's face though while Ramsey's talking to her body? <laughs> I thought this was the Daddy. dumb scene. <laughs> I think that's like yeah. <laughs> I hated it. I didn't see what purpose it added. We know he's a psychopath. Why the fuck do we care about Miranda? I'm sorry. She was on the screen for like 10 minutes. I, I don't care. I don't. I, the time could be spent on other things. I and, think it's just to reinforce the psychopathy. Oh, yeah, like yes. we needed that? I mean. No, it also gave us a little touch of his like sensitive side because of what he felt about Miranda. And they, I mean, they, they pulled the rug out from under that at the end of the scene with his final line about the meat. But it's still like a nice character moment where he's not just being a mustache twirling um tying a lady to the railroad tracks villain you know what i mean i think we've gotten that other ways we've gotten that other places i thought it just really it it rang false he's concerned unless it's there to prove that he's a total dumbass when it comes to strategy because his main concern is her when his wife the person he's you know everything well, he's done has disappeared and theon's gone yeah. I think I, they I, hit that in the next scene, comma, when, you know, we I get, get this that. conversation with Ruth. It, it was just so, oh, God, it was so wildly out of character, and it was so stupid, and it's been them all along trying to make him so very heterosexual and and to try really? to... Really? I mean, I think oh, the bathtub yeah. scene with Theon and Ramsay was, like, anything but heterosexual. Like, but I think it's heavily implied beat, that they... One beat and the rest eh. of it... I, I hated it. It made no sense to me. And I, I mean, liked it. I liked it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I liked it. I, I, I could go either way. I could have done without it. <laughs> but and, I like. You know. But I, but you know, keep that passion for later, comma. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I have I have all caps locks in my notes for most of it. <laughs> um. So we we get to Roos, who wants to give Brienne a reward uh, reward for killing Stannis, which I thought was kind of fun. Um. If he only knew. Mm-hmm. And he warns Ramsay that they're fucked without Sansa, and the North won't rally to their aid if the if the Lannisters come calling. 
And then Roos threatens Ramsay with disinheritance. It was like the least subtle threat ever. And you're kind of like, oh, Roos, like, he, you know who he is. Like, it just seemed a little bit out of character to, to me anyway for Roos to be so overtly threatening to someone that he knows is a psychopath. Yeah, I mean, I get yeah. that it's TV foreshadowing, but it's right. not a smart thing to do. And then it makes no, it, <sighs> my voice not seem smart. Are you, are you guys I, implying that Roos is going to kill or that Ramsay is going to try and kill Roos? Oh, and or Waldo. Oh, yeah. Waldo, yeah, for sure. Waldo. But I don't think Ramsey would ever kill Roos. Oh, I think he's dead very soon. Oh, I think he's um, going to get him. Yep. Um, I have a whole theory on that, which I won't share. But um, I actually, this part of the scene was fine. I think Roos is pissed as much as Roos ever gets pissed because of what Ramsey has just fucked up yeah. again. I mean, um, Roos has given him you know, every opportunity to help consolidate their power. And Ramsey's just flying by the seat of his pants. And I mean, frankly, he had Sansa willing to play along. If Ramsey could have been a normal or even a subpar human being for like a day. Yeah. That would have been fine. But I mean, he really couldn't even do that. And I thought of this. All right. I thought the previous scene, totally not in character. This bit, this worked for me. Um, I realize they do have a blind spot for the actor who plays uh, Roos, but I thought this worked. You could see he was pissed. He doesn't yell. He doesn't scream. He just gets nasty. Oh, no, it's totally Roos. Yeah, he's cold. And I thought Ramsey's response, yeah, I've got Hunter's. That's very Ramsey, too. That's very actually very book Ramsey. You know, I'll get them back or whatever. But it worked for me in a way that the previous bit totally did not. I can see I'm going to be the one lone voice (laughs) against you all. No, I think it's just that, you know, I think, you know, no, I don't think so. I think it's just the Ramsey scene. We we differ opinion, which is the beauty of the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we move on to Theon and Sansa, who are running from said hounds. Um, they cross this beautiful icy river to get the dogs off their scent, and they find their way to a little shelter in the trees. And then they cuddle for warmth, and you can kind of see, and it's I think it's brilliant acting, you can see that they both kind of lose themselves in this comfort of actually having a human touch again. And then they hear the dogs, um, and Theon tries to lure them away from Sansa pretty lamely. It doesn't work, and the Bolton men are soon upon them. Um, and I'm assuming that these are not the murder dogs. These are like the tracking dogs, oh. because they seem like they were fairly... Um, gentle whereas the murder dogs <laughs> yeah. i have it in my notes that i didn't know if it was the floppy ears but i was expecting like mastiffs or wolfhounds or right. even even like a group of chows would have scared me more than <laughs> <laughs> a group of papillons oh my god chihuahuas <laughs> i would have been so back in love with the show at that moment if there was that's a all they had papillons. to do <laughs> or dachshunds or something i don't know <laughs> Wiener dogs. I'd be surprised if Ramsey owned any non-murder dogs. Weren't they <laughs> well, all murder I mean, dogs? Well, I mean, these are, you know, they obviously want to bring Sansa in alive, so I figure these must just be, like, regular tracking dogs. They look like bloodhounds. And I'm sure they could murder someone, but they just didn't. Yeah. You know, I think visually I'm just expecting something a little more scarier than... <laughs> Although, no, I, all I want are, like, a group of papillons. <laughs> like, that would be the best thing ever. <laughs> I would like fan art of a group of papillons trying to hunt them down. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> at least cuddled them to get to death. <laughs> so it looks like uh, Sansa and Theon are in deep shit, but we um, get the arrival of Hurricane Brienne rolling into town. And basically, Brienne and Pod wreck some shit. 
Uh, Brienne gets knocked off her horse pretty quickly, but she recovers and kills some dudes. And then kind of the fakiest part is she literally jumps up and knocks down a horse. (laughs) 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 Wow. Um, And Pod gets in some killing, and even Theon joins in when it looks like Pod is going down. And I did kind of like that as a callback to Pod saving Tyrion on the Blackwater. Oh, yeah. Mm. I didn't think about that. Oh, that's a good point. Was anyone else surprised to see Pod fighting off knights like that? No, I think behind water, the it was like scenes. A yeah, but you well, know, like behind the scenes when they're looking for that candle, they probably had a lot of downtime for him to be practicing. Well, and he's that actor is now he's not playing a little kid anymore. That actor's what he's another one who's grown up and looks like he's twenty five or whatever, or thirty. Um, so yeah, I mean that he. I was okay with that. It didn't work. It didn't I kinda, bother. I kind of just wanted like a really quick short scene in between when that line when she said, "I'm going to train you," and and this episode where to like show him training. <laughs> you want yeah. the job, yeah. montage? I don't want a whole montage. <laughs> just with some Rocky music. <laughs> I want to see. I want to see Podrick getting pummeled by Bran in like a sparring match. You yes. want like the Westerosi version of Eye of the Tiger and like a montage of him getting beat down. Chasing a chicken and drinking raw eggs. Yes, I could be completely down with that. That would be cool. Yeah, but I got no, and I think I think I was okay with it once he fell off the horse and was in a position where he wasn't about to win. Like originally, I was like, oh, he's doing a little bit better than I thought he would do. But I was a little disappointed that I was able to predict Brand showing up in the first place because it got to a point when the dog showed up and they find Sansa that like, okay, everything's screwed. But they wouldn't have developed this path if they were just going to get taken right back to the castle. So yeah. who else is in the area that could come to yeah. the aid of Sansa? It's Brienne. So it, like, mm-hmm. as soon as I said that to the person that I was watching it with, Brienne showed up it, <laughs> like two seconds later. So I was, I was a little disappointed that I, could, that I predicted it, but um, it was awesome to see Brienne kick ass. So this Ooh, was my little... first moment of like stupidness in the episode, though. Because at no really? point... Like, how do Brienne and Potty even know, like, who these people are? Like, I'm... they could have been killing, like, people loyal to Sansa for I, they I know, do. I sort of assumed they have, that because they, they heard the, the dogs. they have the sigils or whatever? Well, they heard the dogs. They could have followed them out of Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's Ramsay men, or that's Bolton men, so I'm going to follow them. Yeah, the dogs are yeah. loud. You know, you know so, there. We'll see what they could have done is excise the eulogy to, to the character from the ten minutes, the Miranda chick, and had a scene of some. I, they could have built up the tension better. The pacing in this episode felt very off to me. Uh, I love the good meat line. I actually well, like the good meat line too. <laughs> I, I still think I think the pacing sucked. Um, the New York Times review. I don't know if you saw it, but they compared the you know because it was such all the quick jump cuts and stuff, they mm-hmm. compared it to the old Adam West Batman show. Oh, oh that's, that's that wonderful. But, like, yeah, without the point. sound effects, like, in Gotham, boom! <laughs> See, that's a, that's a good <laughs> way manner. That's a good way of putting it. I just kept thinking to myself, what felt, it felt like things were dragging, and then, bam, something would happen. So maybe that's what I was experiencing, because I couldn't think of exactly how to phrase it, but that works. Well, New York Times, you know. <laughs> there was some controversy about, you know, what happened to the dogs, and I think someone on Reddit figured out that there were six guys, and Brienne and Pod and Theon killed five of them, mm-hmm. and so the other guy took off with the dogs. But again, like... Yeah, he was in the scene with Ramsay. Like, like, why do we have to work that hard? Like, just yeah. show us a cut of the guy with, like, the back of the guy with the dogs running away. 
Yeah, but he and then was, we don't even have to like theorize, you know. Yeah, he was in the scene with Ramsey though, so I think they were assuming that people would recognize the dude. Like he was standing next to Ramsey when Ramsey was talking to um, Roos. Right, but I mean yeah. after the fact. Yeah, yeah. They need, you know, maybe he's in a scene with them next week, but it's sort of like, well, don't make me work that hard. Yeah. You know, after all the bodies are on the ground, Brienne's kind of like, bitch, are you ready for my service now? <laughs> and <laughs> she lays, I mean, she's a bit nicer about it. And she lays Oathkeeper down at Sansa's feet. And with Pod's help, Sansa accepts Brienne into her service. And Brienne is pretty much at the top of the world. Like, I think she's literally crying. And Sansa looks like she wants to climb that tree, is all I'm going to say. What? <laughs> <laughs> the way Sansa is looking at her, she, that was like, I'm kind of in love with you, I think. Well, she just saved her life. I no, mean, that's I'm not, not really she a... Should be, but she and, like, did look... Yeah, I wasn't, she did. <laughs> I was, I'll take your word well, for it. I like, wasn't getting any of that, but... <laughs> it's the first person in, like, forever who not only wants to help her, but wants to help her wholly, who isn't, like, Littlefinger with his own agenda. And this woman has, like, a sword and can fight. So she's even, like, better than Theon, who's, like, you know, not exactly uh, your, your best option for a bodyguard. Well, and be- also that whole, like... Just, I love the scene. It was probably one of my favorite moments in the whole episode. Um, and there weren't many of them, but it, I like the callback to um, Brienne and Kat. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Totally. Did, did any of you tear up during the scene? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I did too. <laughs> you guys were horrible. We're horrible staff. <laughs> so. Um, the opposite of that scene, and, and I think we should all take a deep breath before we tackle this. All right, so here we go. So Larry sails into King's Landing, and Carol is super excited to see her daughter again and rushes down to the harbor to meet him. But instead, <laughs> instead, she sees Larry's somber face and the unmistakable casket behind him. And Carol takes the news with all of the good grace we've come to expect from such a level-headed, <laughs> so very human character, you know, not at all like a monster. And instead of blaming Larry for what happened, she actually reminisces with him about their mother's death. And, you know, at the time, this four-year-old Carol really fixated on her, on, you know, her mother's exact uh, stages of decomposition, which I thought was really interesting and really was a really interesting, intelligent way to point out that Carol's soulmate is really Kyburn. <laughs> really the only way to watch this. I mean, I just kept thinking pod people like not as in podrick but as in like um invasion of the body snatchers where suddenly the people start acting totally different right yeah well who's acting different larry and carol i don't understand what okay so i think they're trying to show us that jamie is a worse person when he's with cersei because at some point he's going to realize that and then go off with it so he has to kind of like regress back to season one, Jamie, um, in order to make that realization that, oh, Cersei's bad for me. Because we take on the personality traits of people that we surround ourselves with. You know what I mean? Plus Who's Larry. She? Okay, Larry? can you guys explain this? I, I realize that Larry equals Jamie and Carol and Cersei. Why are you guys calling them these names? It's not because our they're creation. Not Jamie and Cersei. <laughs> it's because I don't. I couldn't find out where it originated from. I don't know if it was got gifts and musings or if it was somebody on Westeros. Um, dot org or whatever, but a bunch of people have started to call um, show Jamie and show Cersei Larry and Carol because they are so totally not like the characters from the books. It's not that they're slightly different or that there's a you know a twist. It's that those are not the characters. So whether you agree or not, that's what that means. 
So I see. Okay. Thank I really was laughing about, you know, because in the show, um, Jamie and Cersei are four years older than Tyrion, not nine, like in the books. Mm-hmm. So they really want us to think that this four-year-old Cersei is sitting there after her mother dies, wondering about the stages of decomposition. She's four. Like, my God. <laughs> what is wrong with these people? I mean, four-year-olds do not remember, I guarantee, the lips pulling away and all this other <laughs> crap. I mean, I just, you know, it's funny. I do follow a bunch of Cersei stands on, on Tumblr. And I've seen some stuff that I don't agree with. But it's wacky to see how much they hated this, too. Because this is not Cersei. Whether you love or hate Cersei, this is not her. I think children in Westeros are exposed to more dead bodies than we are in our modern day to America. <laughs> this was their first dead body, though, they said. And I think this is not Jamie either. You know, I think a lot of times, some of the things he says, you know, you can get, oh, he's so, you know, delusional in love with Cersei, but saying something like, we're going to take everything there is. That was the last line he said. There's no argument that at any point in the books that Jamie really wanted anything other than to just pretty much be with Cersei. His goal is not to take everything. And you could say, oh, well, maybe he's saying this to appease Cersei. But I don't buy that. I just think that he, it, to me, it just felt completely right. out of character. And it's, and it's not even internally consistent to this season. When you read the little note that um, Doran gets later, you know, where Jamie's saying, oh, you know, I, your son can't be here. I can't say what my sister is going to do, blah, 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 blah. Like, he's saying the exact opposite to Cersei. And maybe he's saying it to appease her. But again, like, don't make me, the viewer, infer all this shit. Like, if that's what you really want me to know, then make me, you know, then do that. Well, if he wanted to be consistent, he he would have pushed her into sex if he wanted to be consistent with show Jamie. You know, based on the last time a child died, that was the first thing he thought of. He would have (laughs) caught her with sex. You know, watch that another time. (laughs) Oh, I know. I don't want to watch it, but yeah. It this whole thing it, it gets so much worse. It's and I was joking before the season began that what I was gonna do is view this as wasn't it fortunate that D and D got HBO to to produce their fan series and got professional actors and set people to put this all together because it's felt very much like fan fiction to me. And I keep I'm watching this going, oh my god, they need a beta so badly. They need somebody going, what the hell are you doing here? If you're going to write original characters, at least have the decency to, you know, give them other names. Well, I kind of feel like, you know, it's sort of like the role that Brian Cogman started with on the production in the first couple of seasons. And maybe as he's progressed into, you know, into his new role or his expanded role in production, they don't have someone at that level grounding the characters with the books. And then, you know, at this point, probably not the books, but with like the first or second season version of that, of those characters. And I think there's other examples of that as well, where some of the internal consistency within the show is lacking. None of this stuff bothers me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone else want to get a dig in before we move on? Or praise it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. Or praise it. Yeah. Oh, did you guys watch the, like the after the episode where D and D were talking or whatever? Oh, it made yeah. a little yeah, in my it, mouth, but yes, I did. It, it explains why they do what they do, but that's why I, I think the you know I, she, she is a monster. I, I I appreciated that note that he made where he said our Cer- show Cersei is is different than book Cersei. When I when I watched that, I was like, uh, the ladies are gonna have 
comments about this. <laughs> I, I just find show Cersei so fucking, I'm sorry, I'm swearing so badly tonight, so watered down. And so stripped of all of her fire and her rage. And uh, then why do this show? Go make up your own fantasy. Go call it something else. I mean. And I don't care about Cersei so much. But by making Cersei this watered down, non-insane character, they ruin Jaime. Yeah, I think that's what it is for me. Yeah. Paranoid for no purpose. If she like legitimately is paranoid because people are killing her kids. And the Tyrells are out to get, like, if all of that's true, then what does that mean for Jamie? You, know, you can't have it both, you know, that you can't have yeah. it both ways. Yeah, and how, I think, yeah. yeah. How is the way forward for them? Because then it becomes this situation where he's abandoning someone who he's clearly, seriously still attached to. Um, but, how do you, how do you do that? How do you do that? Or are they just going to abruptly do it? And then it has, whoa. it loses any meaning and it becomes well, very different. about what happened not about who it's happening to. Yeah. Right. I would say, I mean, Jamie still doesn't know about Xerxes sleeping with Lancel yet. And I imagine, I would think that that's going to be revealed in this season. And Moonboy, for all we know. Right? <laughs> I would love that. I would love that if they did that. And I, But I don't know how, how Jamie would handle it. I think this Jamie might just go kill Lancel. <laughs> I think yeah. what they would do is would. he would eat them. He would kill them and eat them and he'd be the monster <laughs> that D&D think he is. Because they've said this. They don't think she's a monster. They think he's a monster. So God only knows what we're going to get. I, I think that, that Cersei will go insane. She's just taking a moment to mourn kind of like the quiet in the eye of a hurricane or whatever. And then she's going to take her kyborg, Robert Strong monster, and go out and kill some Septa Yulena and other people that have been fucking with her. I think it's just, just that we've they've been in this state of the state of nothingness for two seasons now and we're all like at the end of our patience at this point it feels it feels really redundant i'm hoping it does yeah. i mean i've kind of excused it and said well i'm hoping they're going for juxtaposition like here's our calm cersei versus insane cersei but i'm starting to worry that we might but i would be happy well, again if she like did. <laughs> i i kind of resent that we as the viewers have to make up the motivations and have to make up the reasoning yeah. behind things that are happening right. like Tell this, tell a good story, and you don't have, you know, we don't have to do that. We don't have to make up reasons for why things happen because it's evident. Yeah, it's so a I lot just of work. Think it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work going. to justify to justify why this is the way it is. So, and it's it's fan wanking is what it is. It's not like oh, okay, they did this because of that. It's just a small thing. It's constantly having to adjust it. Or to go, well, maybe they're going with this. I shouldn't be wondering in some of these right. cases. Right. I should have an indication. I mean, um, let us be fucking lazy, Game of Thrones. Come on. It's like Sunday night. Like, my brain <laughs> needs to shut down a bit. Well, or set it up as you... a genuine mystery. But if I'm constantly having to wonder why these characters are out of character, what the hell is the point? It's not even consistent with their own characterization. This is my other problem. If you are going to go this way, okay, you know, with how you've portrayed these characters throughout all the seasons, and they're not doing that. They change it up from episode to episode, from, well, I think you know, season Carol to- is consistent. She's just consistently wrong. <laughs> Jamie is the, you know, Jamie is whatever they need him to be at that moment. Okay, so have we beaten this to death, you think? Let's move along. So Marge is in jail. And Septonella is all confessed, and she starts getting rough with Marjorie. And the High Septon interrupts, and they've obviously got this whole good cop, bad cop thing going on. 
And Marge just wants to know how Loris is doing, but the High Septon wants her to confess and basically give her back to Tommen. And Marjorie says she has nothing to confess, and the High Septon tells her that, you know, no one is without sin, and tells her she's on the path but has far to go. And I think, you know, this is obviously, I mean, see, this is an example of a foreshadowing that you don't have to think that hard about. So he's recognizing that Marge is someone he could potentially work with. You know, she's on the path. Like, this is not a Cersei situation where there's just no middle ground or no, you know, moving her. Like, he can move Marge, he thinks. But it was kind of, you know, a quick scene. I would have liked, I really wish they had gone a different way. I really, I didn't think we needed this. I think what it would have been far more interesting to give her, they've shown her as somebody who's got the political chops. To have her realizing a lot sooner, a lot faster, taking control of the situation and sort of having the initiative to do that. And I, f- I think I would have found that more intriguing to watch. It would have given, it would have been consistent with who Marjorie is. Yeah, but I don't know. They don't like to do that with women. If no, you're not a yeah, warrior I, or a child or a mother, you're doomed. I mean. Or whore. I, I guess I would. I wouldn't yeah. go that. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I, I think like they've shown women to be pretty politically savvy, you know, through throughout the series. But I think the thing with Marge is that it's this is a game that she's not playing for her life or for her power. It's for Loris's life, and that maybe makes her a little bit more cautious. I mean, that's nice her main concern. That's a good note. I like that. Okay, so we have to take another deep breath, you guys, because uh, <laughs> we're, uh, we're going to Dorne. Oh, God. so Dorne and Ilaria talk about how awesome and cool Oberyn was, and then basically immediately after that conversation, Ilaria kills him, and uh, Tying kills Hota because Gosh. clearly Oberyn would have wanted it that way. <laughs> I am just having a hard time believing that Ario Hota uh... could be killed by a midget with a bad pussy. <laughs> Okay. Oh my God. I, I've given this some thought because Ariohota was one of my favorite characters, and I screamed that I was so <laughs> mad that they that they killed like like a chump. Okay, so it was Tyene, and they've noted that she uses poisons before, before, and if that dagger had Manticore venom on it, it Manticore venom kills instantly. So it's very possible that getting stabbed in the back, uh, maybe like, and maybe also if the Manticore venom was mixed with a paralytic, that he would have just gone down like that. And it's still, it's so Game of Thrones to, <gasps> at least in the book, set up this um, badass warrior monk who's married to his axe, and then just kill him in a second. with That's so horrible. Me. I mean, at least in the books, he got a chance to kill people with the axe first, you no, know? No, she killed a member of the Kingsguard. I mean, he kind she of like... Him. I, I have in my notes, I have, I have four words. That's all I have for this plot. I don't even know. <laughs> I saw this meme the other day. It's a, a meme with Oberyn, and it says, "You killed it. You you raped it. You murdered our plotline." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think actually the next scene is worse because it's just, you know, you take away the plot. I mean, even if you thought the plot was okay, like the specifics of the Tristane scene are so incredibly stupid. He's sitting there painting the eye stones for Marcella when Obara and, Namar- and Nim barge in, but he doesn't seem to be distressed by their entry or upset. You know, he obviously must know they're in on killing, like, the love of his life, but he's just like, 
whatever, kind of reaches for his sword, but there's no panic. There's no, what are you doing here? I know what you did. Like, there's no reaction at all. None. He probably None. knows that the sand snakes killed uh, Marcella, so he's probably just right. expecting them to come after him, too. But shouldn't Can we he go back like, to the previous you know, storm scene for a second? Because, yeah. like, I wanted to note that I rep- appreciated the, the final shot of, like, um, Ilaria standing there, like, in front of the chair and whatever, because it Dorne, when it was established from, you know, the Roinar people, was um, Nymeria, and so they, it comes, Dorne comes from a line of, uh, of um, what do you call it, female leaders? What's the word? Starts the name, please? I think they would not embrace this Alaria as one of their own, but go ahead, keep going. The only word that came to mind was bad pussies. Matriarch. Sorry. That, was, that was the word I was like, matriarch. matriarch. <laughs> So it was, it was to me, like, I interpreted that shot of, like, the return of the Namiria-type uh, leader for Dorne. So it was kind of, like, nice in a historical perspective. I think if it yeah. was Arianne killing Dorne, which would be, you know, even worse, but at least then you, you know, could have that moment of her doing it to ascend to the, you know, ascend to the throne, essentially. So is that what Laria plans to do? She's going to lead? Because I didn't get that. I just got that this crazy-ass woman and her nutso daughters who can't even... Oh, that they just murdered the the monarch and his son, and they have no plans for anything so, to go into. Do you guys place. remember? And I don't even care about these oh, people. Yeah. <laughs> I so, so do you don't guys care. remember the Simpsons episode where Itchy and where Poochie joins Itchy and Scratchy, <laughs> and like everyone hates Poochie, and then they write in an episode where it's just you know Poochie like they just insert something into an episode where Poochie's like. I have to go. My planet needs me. And then they superimpose over the screen. Poochie was killed on his way on the way to his planet. He's never coming back. Like, I feel like this is what they did. Like basically, they're like bad Poochie, and that's it. <laughs> they Poochied him. They're never coming back. Or they are going to come back, but it'll be you know via, um, you know dragons. Oh, I hope they don't. Were you guys surprised to see Duran be killed? Well, I was spoiled. No, I was spoiled. I was surprised. I did not spoil myself oh, because God. I was. Yeah, I was oh, surprised. Gosh. I didn't care. I like that actor so much. Oh, I know. And I mean, um, someone replied to one of my blog posts that well, he got to film in Spain and probably had a good time, and I hope that was the case. But I don't. I love Indira Varma normally. She's a fantastic actress, but I have loathed everything they've done with her in this. It's just a waste of my time and what I've resented it even more when I had to rewatch it for notes. I hate this story. <laughs> There's nothing redeeming other than the great textiles. I was going to say nothing. the only redeeming thing are the textiles. Don't forget the textiles. <laughs> it's the only thing I care about with Dorn. Give me their fabric. Sell that in the HBO story store and then leave it the fuck alone. I don't care about these characters. You introduce these they fucked up the Sandstakes no, so bad. They fucked up Alaria so bad. They got rid of Ariane. It's a mess. It was a mess last season. Most last people season. hated it. Why are they wasting our time with this? They, they could have been it. lifted out entire from the show. But no, they felt they had to go there. And it was just, oh, I'm so mad. It really it's, makes me question if they actually read the Dance with Dragons books. And, and plus, I mean, the, the Dorn... What do you think? Well, maybe, George, plot, maybe George. Maybe I have plot? a theory about this. I don't know if it's at all practical, but I'm guessing they read the first three books, 
And then they got tired and they had an intern (laughs) or an assistant read them who came up with like a precy that they probably lifted from the wiki. And that's what they read. Uh, Because I I don't know how you get their stuff from that stuff at all. Do you think George told them that Doran died and that they somehow cobbled together this scenario? That maybe I'd be no, shocked. I think George told him that Egan. I think George told him that Egan was a fake, okay. and so once you remove Egan from there, you remove the purpose of Dorn. Okay, so they just wanted to take care I of think, it. I think. Well, I mean, I think okay. you know. If so, if you remove Egan, there's no long-term purpose, and then I think they thought the Sand Snakes were cool. You don't and think then, that Dorn? You don't think that Dorn's going to join Danny when she gets to Westeros? Dorn doesn't have a lot of. I mean, I think they will, but I think that. Um, well, actually, I don't know, because, I mean, right now they're with Egan, and they could get wiped out. What about in the I show? In the um, show, in the I show, don't I think, think they have a clue Danny. what they're doing. Hmm. No, I think there are spoilers for um, potentially Varys and potentially Olena being in Dornish set, so there oh. might be, an, there might be like, an additional scene with, um, you know, those and probably Ilaria at some point, and I don't know what, I mean, I don't know what, Namari and Obar are going to do in King's Landing, if anything. I mean, to be fair, King's Landing probably could use some additional characters for the plotline this season, but... But those? Um, I, you know, not them. God. <laughs> someone, but just anyone. So, I, let's I, move on to another... Oh, go ahead. I don't hate this Dorn stuff as much as you guys do. I hate the last time we saw Bran a hundred times more than all this Dorn stuff. I actually enjoy this a little bit. Like, I... I completely respectfully disagree with everything that you're saying about Dorn, <laughs> but I, I I cannot stand uh, CGI skeletons ever. <laughs> yeah, we can move I... on. I just wanted to note that. <laughs> well, I was going to go to another okay. divisive location, which is, of course, Marine. And uh, Varys and Tyrion are walking through the dangerous streets, which they think that they're super inconspicuous, which, you know, apparently there are multiple dwarves sitting at Daenerys's right hand in the pit. But uh, so they talk about Danny's popularity and what I and I'm kind of looking for an explanation from you guys on this. So they're sitting in this me- uh, basically like a Reller meeting and the priest is giving the sermon about how basically everyone should be their own mother of dragons and to me, it seemed like that actually was pretty good advice, and that would be the way for Marine to be successful. And then we have Tyrion saying, that's a problem. And I didn't really get that. Did anyone understand? Like, why does, why would Tyrion think that that sermon was a problem? Because the diction he was using was, uh, he was saying things like, make your own fire or whatever. So he was making it sound like, um, take power on yourself and burn down the establishment. It, like, he was promoting... Um, violence and, oh, and war and anarchy, and it was just like if 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 uh, Tyrion and Varys are trying to make peace in Marine, that kind of um, rhetoric is going to be uh, acerbic and uh, destructive. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think most of their their ruling has never been about everyone should just do their own thing and hang out. I mean, it's all very much a hierarchical system, and even if they're in Marine, that's the plan. I mean, Danny can talk about freeing people all she wants, but she's in charge and she's a dictator, and that's what dictators do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the political structure they have. Um, Your own some... mother, dragon. <laughs> Screw this. I think, uh, I think Tyrion and Varys are. We're going to get future scenes of them like uh, reshaping the the red religion into a tool that they can use to be for Danny. 
because um, he just notes that it's a problem, and that, that, that I, I think that's how they're going to deal with it. But yeah, I've I mean, been wrong before all the time, most of the and time. And also, their fleet's burning. <laughs> that's okay because the Greyjoy feet is on their way to replace. Yep, <laughs> exactly. So that's a good example of where they actually remembered continuity. Like they remembered that they had a fleet, so they had to burn it. Like good job. Hurry up and burn the fleet. Get it done. <laughs> so love, uh, we. Oh, go ahead. I love the scene where they had to explain that no, the dwarf is not going to eat your baby. <laughs> oh, that was weird. And the joke, I didn't. I felt stupid because I didn't really get the joke, the cock joke. Uh, it, it fell flat for me. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're not a boy because you don't have a dick. Uh, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know why that we have to... Uh, every single character... I mean, he must... Actually, I did kind of like this poor man. Every time he turns around, someone's going to mention he doesn't have a cock. Like, you know, we all know yeah. this. And he... <laughs> like, I'd love his sad face. I know. <laughs> I don't have one. He's just move on. But he's the one <laughs> who's, like, begging to tell everyone his castration story. I mean, he really has no one to blame but himself. Don't hide from it. Wear it like armor and it will never be used to hurt you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So we uh, we flip over to Jorah and Dario and they're hot on Danny and Drogon's tail. And they kind of have this nice little talk about their feelings. And while Dario talks, Jorah just listens. And you know, Dario hopes he doesn't end up like a lovesick Jorah, but hopes that he lives long enough to see the world Danny will bring. Um Jorah spots the trampled ground of the Dothraki horde, and then... Oh, wait, you skipped he... over the part where they reminded us that Jorah has grayscale? Because I'm a goldfish, oh. and I only have memory span of six seconds, and I don't remember that Jorah has grayscale. <laughs> and so they, also missed, they also missed a prime opportunity. Jorah could have totally taken out the competition. All he had to do was reach over one little touch and rub him on the face yeah, with it. <laughs> sure. It's new Dario in the indexation of Doom. That's what that scene is. So... I used to watch the soap opera The Young and the Restless years ago, and there was a character who was becoming an alcoholic, and literally every single day they would do the shot where they'd pull the focus in on her like entire huge full tumbler of vodka and then like widen it out so you could see the rest of the scene. This happened every single day, which kind of reminds me of Jorah and his stupid, his stupid wrist. Like, I get it. She's drinking a freaking huge tumbler of vodka like every day. Um, anyway... So basically, uh, this is another Game of Thrones tribute to the Prince's Bride in that Jorah is clearly the Prince Humperdinck of Essos, and he finds Danny's ring on the ground. It's a miracle. He can track anything. <laughs> yep, she got on a dragon, flew 100 miles away, but yep, they can find stuff. Well, I can figure the dragon is probably fairly easy to track just because they'll have, you know, like the trail of <laughs> bird animals. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, with the, the horde trampling down the grass, that also makes sense. But it's like, you know, I mean, immediately within five seconds, he finds the ring. I mean, I guess, but it's just... Well, I mean, there's a giant bullseye of uh, horse tracks <laughs> circling around in a radius right. centered on the ring. So it's kind of uh, easy to just it was, see it right in the middle uh, of it. Oh, it would still be hard with that grass and those little white flowers. It'd be a little difficult. <laughs> yeah. He seemed to have no problem. <laughs> You probably could smell iocane powder as well. Uh, so we, we flip over to Danny, and she's in deep shit as the Dothraki discuss if her carpet matches her drapes. Um, <laughs> they bring her to Cal Morrow, who, despite his wife's wishes to cut the hot stranger's head off right away, 
Um, they have this great scene where he talks to his blood riders about how seeing a beautiful woman naked for the first time is the greatest thing in the world. And the blood riders start to argue. And they come up with like four other things, which are um, killing another cow, conquering a city, taking the idols back to vast Dothrak, and then taming a wild horse. And then Cal Morrow's like, well, okay, it's one of the five greatest things in the world, which I loved. That was I, a good, yeah, that I, was funny. I wasn't crazy about <laughs> this, this whole little subplot, but I did like that moment. Oh my gosh. So, it felt like such a dude moment. I, I was so this thinking really... of Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of like a double connection because Jason Momoa played Conan yeah. in the remake. Oh. And uh, so there's... Conan, what I is actually life? loved this scene, and I really, I kind of compared it mentally to the introduction of the Sand Snakes last year, where you had Obara like expositing to her own sisters her backstory, as if like they didn't know her backstory, and it was so awkward. And here, it was just like this very natural scene, and so we learned a lot about, you know, all these five characters without them having to tell us, like, right. you know, the wives kind of were the the wives kind of had these fun kind of snarky personalities. The blood riders are kind of funny and they obviously don't fear Cal Moro. Cal Moro seems like fairly chill for a call. Like he's, you know, he's not angry with them. He just has to like, okay, yeah, you're right. It's the, one of the five. Like they kind of have this joking, fun family relationship and they don't have to tell us. They showed us like, thank yeah. God. It was so much more, fun and refreshing and i instantly actually like all these characters um even though you know they our heroine is in danger from them well she is until she name drops cal drogo and then finds out that nope she's not going back to marine she's off to vaz dothrak um anyone have a theory about see i'm totally going full-on soap opera and cal moro is actually the long-lost brother of cal drogo like i'm just assuming what <laughs> Why? I don't know. Because that just seems like something that would happen. Because they also mentioned they called him Cal Bo- Cal Drogo, son of Cal Barbo, and then I'm thinking like, oh, clarify that this Barbo is both of their fathers. Maybe I don't know. I I normally don't care much about what happens to Danny, but I did I did think that Clark did an okay job here, which for me is very high praise. That is. They must have worn you down with all the other shit in the episode, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, it was nice to see, you know, the hot-looking people again. And I, I do like the Dothraki. I think that's kind of interesting. I just felt a lot of it was a little... I don't know, the whole discussion about does the carpeting match the drapes? I was just like, really? Okay. I guess that was always a thing. I, you know... I guess I'm just going to be the devil's advocate this episode because I kind of like that scene because it showed Danny having like another strong moment where she's got this secret where she, you know, secretly speaks Dothraki, but she's not going to let on uh, tell anyone that she does until because it's like a, it's like a power that she can hold over them and, and pull out a, a, a secret, her secret weapon at the last second. Um, Danny's Danny's the master of like holding aces up her sleeves, you know, or yeah, no, I thought... the highest ranking person that, you know, she can get to essentially before she gives you know gives up the goods yeah i thought that was well done i thought she did an okay job um i don't have any issues with that i just i i was just a little bit i'm kind of done with the over sexualized talk every two seconds it's i realize this is what i signed up for but welcome to hbo yeah (laughs) you know though (laughs) no no you can't tell me that i've watched way too many hbo shows 
I mean, even on the wire when they had that scene where the, they just used the word fuck for the entire scene, which was awesome. It's probably one of the best moments of television I've ever seen. It wasn't necessarily about that. And this just felt like, oh, we have to have this. I, it's There was like there was a whole plot thread in The Sopranos about like the grandfather um, eating pussy and whether or not that made him gay. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Uncle Junior. Yeah. But I mean, there were other things going on in that episode and it wasn't just that stuff. No, and there's this other just things felt, going on eh, in Game of Thrones. Not much. <laughs> so full of vitriol, comma. I hated this so much, and actually, no, no. I want to, I want to take that back. I'm watching it. Um, we won't say how and all this other stuff, but I had other things going on. I had internet going out. I had technology failing me, and normally that would be a cause for extreme anxiety. But you know, it was mostly meh. Oh, oh, okay. I'll wait till it kicks back on. It wasn't until I had to rewatch it and take notes that the hate just started to like set <laughs> mostly that was indifferent mostly I, I thought this a... is extremely unexciting poorly edited choppy really shittily written TV and I'm going to stand by that the scenery was <laughs> nice I think there's a factor where the yeah, fandom sort of the soundtrack itself. too it was nice scenery and they had some nice moments there was some good acting the casting's always been good I like what we're seeing of the new costumes Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I love the man dresses in uh, or the man skirts in uh, Bravos. I was very happy about that. I was so, really, I really loved Sajora's Destrier. His oh, horse, they were gorgeous, so beautiful, and the way he would trot, it was beautiful. Yeah. I love that horse. <laughs> Although Brienne was had a different horse, she didn't have her little Goldie anymore. Oh. I didn't notice that. Good, yeah. good catch. Uh, so we, you know, speaking of Bravos, our second to last scene is Arya, who is a blind beggar on the street of Bravos, and as she's sitting there begging, we hear snippets of conversation, and the only thing I could make out was someone saying, after what happened to that king's guard, which I thought was interesting that that was something that we were allowed to hear. Mm-hmm. And the wave comes to taunt her and beat the crap out of her, and apparently on a daily basis. And I do think that the wave might have the most fun role in the show. <laughs> All she does is just wail on Maisie Williams. Like, it's kind of a fun role. But not a lot going on in that in that scene yet. Uh, mm-hmm. So we, we end the episode back at Castle Black. Um, just for the record, Jon Snow, still dead. Thorne comes to the door where Davos and the gang have barricaded themselves in with Jon's dead body. And he offers them amnesty and Davos free passage south. And Davos kind of tells him he also wants some mutton, which was funny. And Thorne agrees, but no one thinks they're really getting out of there alive. And Ed tells the guys that they're going to need Melisandre because he's seen what she can do. And then we get the kicker where the scene switches as Mel's getting ready for sleep. And she takes off her red dress and her necklace and reveals her ancient face and body as she wearily slides into bed. So for those of you who were not spoiled about this, what was your reaction? I was excited that um, they were gonna, that they showed Melisandre and how old she was because we we get that in the books implicitly and now we just get it explicitly in the show. And I was trying to okay. I was trying to read something more about the scene of like how she reacts to it and she just gets in the bed. But after thinking about it for a long time, I came to the conclusion that they just wanted to show us that Melisandre's old and that was really the point of the scene. And that yeah. she's evil. That's what they said. Yeah, that's pretty much it, because I can remember, I think, was it last season where they showed Melisandre, she's taking a bath, and she has that necklace off. 
Yeah. yeah, I think someone theorized that like she had all those potions, or the more interesting theorization I read was that Celise was just such a true believer that she that didn't see she didn't, her as yeah she didn't see her as she was. Hmm, that's this, interesting. This spell this spell could be like cast on the um, necklace, and it just the necklace just needs to be near her. But maybe she just decast a spell and then took it off. It doesn't necessarily have to be bound to whether or not she's wearing it. It could just be proximity, and she just deactivated it and then took it off. Know what I mean? Hmm. But you're making yeah. me think too hard. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's what a that's what a game master does. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and I mean, like, if you're gonna do that, that's fine. But again, it's it's professionally, in theory, professionally produced TV with people who should be knowing what they're doing, and a lot of this stuff should have either been thought. I don't think they have a plan. It's just very sloppy sloppy I, I liked this last scene quite a bit i thought i liked i liked the note of wearing of world yeah. weariness and kind of she's so beat down and i, I kind yeah. of love her playing those notes and yes, i i don't you it know. felt like you know how like you've had a really bad day or a long day you get home well of course this is only going to apply to a few of us here get in your sweatpants and your favorite hoodie you and you take, you take your bra off yep. <laughs> and you're like oh yeah, thank god in totally that sort of oh that's what it and i kind of appreciated that note that you know she doesn't always want to be the hot sorceress but yeah like, no it's it's going to make the eventual Davos Mel hate sex really awkward, though. And I'm there for that. So I mean, I'm still there for it. I'm not going to lie. And I was rereading or I was re-listening to some of our old uh, preview episodes. And we've been talking about Mel Davos hate sex since the very first season six preview. <laughs> so it's been going for a long time. Well, you know, um, he's not exactly a spring chicken either. So, I mean, you know, yeah. well, she's a couple hundred years older or whatever. But. <laughs> yeah, he's got, she's got a few hundred years on him. Any last words in the episode before we send it over to Eon for mail? One of the things that I really, whenever I watched that scene, I had this thought, and I really hope to God it's not, it, it this doesn't happen. But, I mean, it shows that it's a glamour. She has a glamour. Right. And it shows that she has power. Everybody that's read the book, we're all like, yeah, Jon Snow's going to, she's going to raise Jon Snow up. She's She's got to. He's going to have to come back. And I have this thought, and I'm just like, what if? Oh, do it! Yes, yes. (laughs) What if, like, Jon Snow is actually her? It's a glamour. Yes. What? I want to hear. I'm thinking the other way, where she glamours herself to look like Jon Snow. Yes, that's what I'm saying. What if she glamours herself to look like? (laughs) I want to hear Carissa's voice. Amazing. Do Jon Snow. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I hope that really doesn't happen, but that's what. It just immediately popped into my head whenever I saw that scene. I kind of hope it does happen. <laughs> it's going to make the hate sex with Davos more interesting, I guess. It would. <laughs> and then she'll glamour really herself would. into Stannis because, together. you know. <laughs> you know, I got to say, I, I was trying to, th- I've been trying to find a way for like the past three years to find a way to love the show again. And it's just, it just needs to go full bore insane. Like, none of, let, let's do this shit. You know, I mean, Papillon's. You know, hunting ram or <laughs> I'm in for that. I could like that if they Musical went scenes. like a telenovela level of craziness. I could forgive so much, so so much. Just go full on soap opera. Let's do this shit. But no, they're yeah. I don't think I'm gonna get that. <laughs> my my last note on this scene is that this is what Maggie the Frog should have looked like in the premiere of season. Oh, five. Totally, I so agree yes. with you. Yes, yes, right that irked you. me so much. Yeah, that that's a 
great, great point. So, Ian, have you got some mail for us? I do have some mail. A lot of mail. Uh-oh. <laughs> All right. We got one from Underworld. What? Not Underworld. Underwater Woods. <laughs> it says, love the latest episode you guys are so right all the differing opinions came out and it was great i love hearing about your preferences outside of jb knowing i always have the mutual jb flailing to come back to this podcast is a bright light in a dark place with the new season coming up i'm sort of looking forward to your episodes more than the show episodes themselves plus lots enduring stone heart hope gives me life this is always <laughs> for the entertainment ladies um, we got an Anon, and it asks, is Kyburn a My gynecolo- favorite character? Yes. Yes. Is he a gynecologist? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think he is, kind of. I mean, I think all the ma- the maesters are, right? Yeah, they birthed the babies. Well, and he was checking Brienne, you know, to see if she yeah. was healthy. <laughs> I think they're all-purpose doctors. I mean, I think that's their role as part of that. Family practitioners. <laughs> Politicians. Do you think, do you think <laughs> there's a vaginal link in their chain? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> All right. Another one from Underworld. Underwater Woods. <laughs> From Underwater Woods is an interpretation of six, episode six, an interpretation of um, season six, episode one. Everything is the worst except Brienne swearing fealty to Sansa and Davos liking mutton. If by worst you mean best, then yes. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the Dothraki stuff the best, totally, honestly. You just I, like the horses. I, I, I love the this meat is still good <laughs> line. <laughs> I love it so much. I'm with our, our letter writer there. I thought most of it was shit, but you, if you haven't figured that part out by now, there's no hope for you. <laughs> you, you probably need another shot of Dora's wrist to figure out what's happening. <laughs> When, when Locke comes back from the dead and kills me, I, I give you guys permission to feed my body to the dogs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll make notes. Watkins chow. <laughs> Let's see. We got a one-star review on iTunes from Hop Hero. It says, hard to listen to. I tried this podcast but couldn't get through 15 minutes of it. Too many people talking over each other with varying sound levels. I hate yeah. it when people talk on podcasts. It's the worst. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's not wrong. They're not wrong, but, you know, we try. Yeah, we try. And I w- I'm wondering if this was one of our earlier episodes, because at that time, it was still uncharted territory. We were grabbing any t- any type of mic we had, and some of our sound quality was pretty... It was crap back in the day. Well, uh, if that listener is still listening, which I probably aren't. I doubt um, it. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to recommend the upcoming uh, Blackhorn episodes because I'm, I, I isolated audio tracks and edited them to be higher quality in uh, the RPG episodes. Yeah. So in 10 weeks, we'll yeah. listen again. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I, to that listener, I feel you and I'm working, I'm doing my best. <laughs> see um allison in westeros says hi ladies always a pleasure to talk with you and a highlight of my week i'm still on the 
quest listening to back episodes, although I think I'm caught up to where I started, so I'm enjoying this second time around. Shout out for Cluster Palooza's Drunk Cast and Clotho Style Hot Pie! (laughs) (laughs) I'm listening to your first Season 6 update from last year and just wanted to note that while I do believe now that Stannis is pushing up daisies, maybe we're daisies, back last year I wasn't quite sure. I'm a girl that loves a good A Song of Ice and Fire conspiracy, and I'm sitting here at my desk at work in my tinfoil women's career wear. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't necessarily why I thought he was still alive or that I c- couldn't accept the Manus' demise. Truly, there were just a couple of things in my mind. First being the Winds Theon chapter where Stannis says, It may be that we shall lose this battle, the king said grimly. In Bravos, you may hear that I am dead. It may even be true. You shall find my cell so- swords nonetheless. And secondly, and more importantly, they cut away. Hmm. When does God even cut away? (laughs) They love every bit of gratuitous sex and violence they can cram into an episode, so it made me bonkers trying to figure out why all of a sudden they grew some sort of conscience. I now suspect the reason for cutting away was less about not wanting to show a grisly Stannis death and more about not wanting the viewers to see Brienne doing the deed. Like, maybe we couldn't, we wouldn't love her as much, which is totally absurd. How could we love Brienne less? But what do, what do you think? If that's the case, I'm glad they made the choice. I just wish this was their choice more often. There's more so... There's so much more rapey, murdery, sex position-y stuff a girl can take. I do have hopes for this season, but maybe I'm a sunny-side-up optimist. As always, thanks for the podcast, and I will depend on you to get me through this season no matter what D&Ds decide to slop out. Love, is Alice it, in West. In West is Love. it possible to be a sunny-side-down optimist? <laughs> <laughs> There's an answer to her question, though. Um, yeah. I, I read, uh, I can't remember whose interview it was. It had to do with, I believe, with safety um, and how they were, how the scene had been blocked and the proximity. And um, I don't think it had anything to do with characterization or not wanting to show um, the blood and gut stuff. It just had to do with, like, the mechanics of the scene and what was going on. Like, they didn't want Gwendolyn to actually kill Stephen Delane. <laughs> yeah, I think that was part of it. Um, and I <laughs> I think it was also the, it would have been kind of awkward to film, I think I read. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think it was the closeness. She was sort of, he was sitting down, right? If I remember. Yeah, he right. was slumped against the tree. So I think in their height differentials and all sorts of things. So I think it was purely mechanical why they chose not to do that. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is also they want people talking about the show, so they might have like purposefully left it a little bit vague so people could theorize, oh, Stannis isn't really dead because they didn't show it. Because it just generates hype, and to them, that's more money, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think I read it. Was It was somebody, it was an interview with the director, or the, it was, it was somebody authoritative talking about why they chose that, but that could be too. Good question. I love, I love crackpot theories. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. We got one from Dot, and it says, 
Hi, guys. First off, let me say that I love your podcast. I found it last year, and I've been listening regularly ever since. I tried to find similarly smart, funny, and savvy podcasts for my other fandoms, but I've come up short. You guys set a high bar. I was listening to some of your older episodes while cleaning today. Specifically, Close the Door Episode 11, where you cover Season 4, Episode 10 of Got... You were talking about the sex scene between Jamie and Cersei in the White Sword Tower and how it's late in Jamie's arc to be having sex with Cersei. This combined with last night's scene got me wondering about D&D's reasoning for the continued relationship between Jamie and Cersei. A fool's errand, I know. Last season, Jamie only left King's Landing because Cersei asked him to. I'm starting to think D&D saw Cersei and Jamie's estrangement in the books not as the culmination of them growing apart. Tyrion revealing Cersei's infidelities, Cersei's disapproval of Jaime's decisions, etc. You know, character development. But as Cersei's decision. So here's my question. Do you think that on the show that the only way Jaime will leave is if he's sent away by Cersei? Whether because D&D interpret their split up in the books as entirely of Cersei's choosing, or because they thought it would be a narrative shortcut. The prospect has... The prospect has made me deeply worried about the Jamie-Brienne reunion because if Jamie goes away while still romantically invested in Cersei, I don't think I could stomach seeing Jamie pursue Brienne or JB banging when Jamie's heart isn't in it. I sincerely hope they won't go down that route, but I feel like the show is running out of reasons and time for Jamie and Cersei to have a huge fight that estranged them. On a happier note, how about Gwendolyn's acting in last night's episode? The tears in her eyes as she pledged her sword to Sansa made me tear up. Yeah, you weren't alone. No, you weren't. (laughs) But, whew. You okay there, Ian? (laughs) Yeah, this is a lot of reading. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, yeah, basically Jamie's been in a stalled... You know, he's been in a stalled mental position for, you know, two years now. So I think a lot of the frustration we have in the show is frustration of, you know, this his plot not going anywhere. And I can't imagine, you know, Nikolai not only having to answer the asinine, is Jon Snow alive questions interview after interview, but still having to, like, say the same bullshit about, about the Jamie Cersei relationship for, like, three years now. I think a little patience will go a long way here because it's it, I, they're going to split up and it, and I and to answer the questioner's question, uh, I I do think it's possible for Jamie to like come to a realization himself of like if Cer- Cersei crosses some line by going so crazy of like killing someone that Jamie doesn't necessarily want to be killed or like maybe she sends an assassin after Brienne and then Jamie realizes holy shit Cersei's crazy I need to go save Brienne. And then he leaves her of his own accord, not instead of instead of her sending him away. Yeah, that's I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm right there with you, Watkins. I think the whole Cersei Lancel thing is going to be revealed this season. Yeah, and just that's like, probably going to be the, have, the split. We have to wait to see what Brand's up to. We have to wait for Danny to get to Essos. We have to or Westeros. We have to wait for God, Arya to finish her faceless training. We have to wait for all of these characters been, stuff to finish. It's so been it's like, four years. Patience. We're in season six. 
There Have are a little more years. It'll happen eventually. <laughs> Enjoy no. the ride. Don't think okay. about God. Uh, don't think about get out. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet dying at the end of the story. The the enjoyment is coming from the the past, the journey to get there, not what happened. Well, there's like, absolutely no enjoyment in the Jamie Cersei scenes, like at all. So, I mean, part of that is that, like, we've just been, especially with Jamie, we've been like served up an utter pile of shit, like. <laughs> We get the shit Jamie Cersei scenes and then Dorn. Like, the only thing that in the past two, you know, we, last year the only decent thing was the scene with Lawless and Bronn. Like, that's it. Otherwise, it was just complete and utter shit. Anyway, I'm... I'm yeah. Oh, we got a lot of emails from our favorite listener, Lady Blade. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for sending in those emails, Lady Blade. We always love receiving them and reading them, and you always make our day. And thank you. Is that it? Yeah. Well, we like have one more. Like we have minutes. one more. <laughs> we got one more, and it's from our very own Lady of Tarth Hyphen Post. Who? And she's yes, she writing. Believe it or not, yeah. she she's she wrote from the grave. It's beyond the grave. Yeah. <laughs> First off, I'm so sorry I'm missing episode one recap, but I was offered an actual paying gig and Money Trump's podcast. Um www.patreon.com backslash close the door. <laughs> First episode of season six has us visiting a little bit of everyone, which I appreciated. Big fan of Brienne's scene. Not so much naked male. My question is to you, do you think there's any merit to having her naked? I think if she's finally going to be naked, this actually served a point, you know, other than just to be eye candy. I mean, you know, to a certain extent, it gets old after a while, but I, I was fine with this because I thought it, it, it actually served a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just, oh, let me just rip off my dress now, yeah, which yeah. has happened in the past. And it's her, um, her it, own it, gaze on her. You know, this yeah, is her it wasn't. Down. Yeah, exactly. Also, Doran wackiness continues. Why do I have a sinking feeling that D&D and proceeding with Doran to try and make a point, they refuse to respond to the warm respond to the overwhelming criticism? I'm sure you've Wait. already beaten it. What? <laughs> Wait, somebody hates the Dorn scenes? I, uh, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Someone hates them. I'm sure you've already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you've already beaten it to death by now, but fuck show Jamie and his simpering obsession with Cersei. Like, what the fuck is this guy? His name's Larry Lot. His name's Larry. <laughs> <laughs> but she says, see you next week, kids. Hugs and kisses, hyphen posts. <laughs> so I think that wraps it up for, um, that wraps up our show for tonight. And you can find us on iTunes, on Twitter at Door Podcast, on Tumblr, actually on Facebook. And you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you want Lot back, apparently you need to become a Patreon. And then we can afford, <laughs> we can afford <laughs> Lot on a consistent basis. <laughs> so uh, next week we'll be back with episode two, Home, where you can get more exciting Game of Thrones coverage from us. See you all. Thanks, Watkins. You're welcome. May all your mouths be fuckable. <laughs> oh, God. We're going to live that down. waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everyone. Night. Night.